morning, Grace. I am uh, standing at Superior Falls. This is the 12th waterfall that we have uh, visited on this trip. I first just want to say thank you to the Grace family for giving Meg and I this time to be away, get refreshed, get ready for the fall ministry season. It's a gift for us every year to just uh, unplug and unwind and get ready for work. And I also wanted to use this opportunity to introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, Rob and May will be forever known uh, for the way they have changed the face of missions. Them and their team uh, have really done an incredible job of changing the way people do missions in some of the hardest to reach places of the world. We are privileged that Rob and May call Grace Community Church their home church. And uh, we are just privileged also that he is going to speaking with us today. So would you welcome Brother Rob? Good. All right. Good morning. Let's all stand together as we read Psalm 86 together. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you listen to us. We thank you that you are gracious to us. We thank you that our joy can be found in you and that we can rely on you and that in you we find forgiveness hope, peace, 
love. Lord, you are just so awesome and wonderful. And as we come before you now, we ask you to fill us again with your spirit. That we'll be full of your presence as we dig into your word, as we seek to learn about how to walk more with you. Guide our thoughts, guide our prayers so that we would honor, bless, and draw near to you as you desire us to. So come now and lead in this time we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I want to start out with a thank you, first of all, for all your prayers and support. Um, we, I think, first connected with Grace in 1997, but joined the church officially a few years later, and it has been so wonderful. You guys have been so good to May and myself and the various things that we do. Whoops, what happened there? Okay, I, Ron, I lost it. Um, but I also wanted to share with you, um, as you may remember, the last time I spoke, we talked about having an event here at the church uh, two years ago, but COVID obviously wiped that out. But the event is on again, and um, it's going to be held here in March. Um, I think, what's the date? It's 24 to 26. And so there'll be obviously a lot more information coming out in uh, January and February next year. But block your calendar. Don't be gone that weekend. I want you to be here to be a part of my other tribe. Uh, I, I always tell the world I have two tribes. I have Grace and I have the Open Network. And so look forward to having those two tribes come together. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And then the second thing is Cyprus. Um, as I think you all know, every two years, the church has sent a worship team, and there's people who come and work with the children, and there's people who come and pray uh, at our biannual event where basically most of the people in our network from around uh, the world where we work in Hindu, Muslim, and uh, Buddhist areas come together. And again, if uh, that's something you want to be a part of, it's going to be in Cyprus, and these are the dates next year. So... As a business person, I have to start out with a commercial, so that's my commercial, just to try to recruit you and advertise about the things that we do, all right? Psalm 86 is my assignment. It starts out with the title, A Prayer of David. Now, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written, where in David's life it takes place, because there are too many things happening in this psalm. There's nothing that points to a specific circumstance or event in his life, and so it's a very challenging psalm. Now, to me, it was a very interesting psalm as I was studying it, because David uses the names of God, um, all of the major names of God. He uses Adonai, he uses Elohim, he uses Yahweh, and so you see these names there in Scripture. But what I think is significant and important is the use of Adonai. Adonai, as you see, means Lord or Master. Now, in Hebrew, I'm almost certain it's almost always used as Master. But of course, back in the, what we call the Dark Ages, you know, a thousand years ago, we had lords and kings and those kinds of things. And so it got 
change from master to Lord in most English translations, but it literally means master. And this is significant because one, David uses this more than any other name for God in this psalm, but he also, in verses 2, 4, and 16, he calls himself a slave. He's a slave who is worshiping his master. He sees his relationship as a slave to God. And this is significant in understanding David's heart and understanding who David is. How we relate to God obviously affects our relationship with him. Some of us call God Father, some Papa, some King, some Lord. We use different titles as we relate to God, and they're all good, and they're all right, and it's good for us to use different titles. In this psalm, David is relating to God as his master, as his Lord, and he is picturing himself as a slave. Now again, the English translation is servant, but the Hebrew word literally is slave. One of the challenges of this psalm is because it is so diverse, there's, there's, I've broken into four different sections, all right? In the first section, if you look at your Bible, you'll see he starts out by saying, listen to me. Asking God, listen to me. And then he asks, save me. Be gracious to me. Keep me. Protect me. And then verse 3, he says, make my heart happy in you. These are the verses, the ideas, the thoughts that shape his introduction to this. But then he goes on to explain why. And in explaining why, starting in verse 5, he says, because you are forgiving, your love is steadfast, because when there's trouble, I can call upon you. Because, verse 8, there is none like you. Because all the nations, verse 9, will worship before you. Because, verse 10, you are great and wondrous and the only true God. And then finally, there's four action points in verses 11 through 17. Give me an undivided heart. Teach me your ways. Give me your strength. Reveal yourself through me. Many, many years ago, 1976 to be exact, I had the opportunity to attend a workshop that was led by Billy Graham. And after Billy gave his teaching, there was a question and answer period, and somebody asked Dr. Graham during that time, what is the secret to the depth of your relationship with God? Good question. And his answer, which was very quick, was this. He said, every year I pray through the entire book of Psalms and Proverbs. Hmm. Made note of that. Exactly three weeks later, I was driving from Portland, Oregon to Eugene, where I went to university. And I was riding in the car with a man named Leroy Ives. And Leroy has written several books, and he was well known uh, to the guys who were in the Navigator ministry, which I was involved with, because he had discipled the guy who had discipled the guy who was discipling us. 
And so I had prepared a list of questions to ask Leroy as we drove because I wanted to find, you know, some wisdom on these things. And it took me about an hour to go through these questions, and we still had some time left in the trip. And so Leroy turned to me, and he said to me, he said, Rob, can I ask you a question? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure, what? He said, what do you want written on your tombstone? Now, I was 22 years old at the time. I really hadn't thought about tombstones very much. And so I didn't have an answer. And so I was quick to think, well, Leroy, uh, what do you want written on your tombstone? And uh, he was very quick to reply. He said, Acts 13.22. Now, again, if any of you have been involved with the Navigators, one or two of you, you know that one of the things they do is memorize. We memorize a lot of the Bible. And so fearing that he would expect me to know that verse, which I didn't, I quickly asked him, what does Acts 13.22 say? And he said this. I have found in Jesse, the son of David, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Wow. That's quite a verse. And as I thought about that, and as I thought about what Dr. Graham had said, I decided that I would pray through the book of Psalms and Proverbs. And I would study David's life. And for 45 years in a row, I've prayed through the entire book of Psalms and the entire book of Proverbs. The first few years, I focused on myself. But since then, I've focused on myself sometimes, but I've also focused on praying for others. This year, I prayed for my three grandchildren, every verse. And I don't share that, you know, to puff me up. I share that as an encouragement to you and a challenge to you to take time and pray through these books, the wisdom of, Psalm, of Proverbs, the heartfelt love and the nature of the Psalms in relating to God and in understanding David so that we can get our hearts to be like their hearts. Consider this story. There was once two kings, and they ruled the same country successively. One of the kings did some minor infractions against God. The other king did some gross sins against God. The first king altered God's assignment just in a very minor way. The second king committed adultery and murder, sins for which he should have been killed. The first king is named Saul. The second king is named David. For his minor disobedience, Saul's kingdom was destroyed and he was killed. Yet, Scripture says of David, I have found no one who has a heart for me like he does. What's the difference between these two kings? And as I've studied their lives, the difference is character and how they deal with sin. When Saul is confronted 
by the prophet Samuel with his sin, Saul defends himself, makes excuses, blames others, takes no responsibility, and in the end, he says to Samuel, please honor me and do not embarrass me in front of the people. Saul was more concerned about his reputation. He was more concerned about what people thought of him than he was with God. When Nathan the prophet and others confronted David with his sins, what did he do? He immediately fell on the ground, face to the ground, crying out to God for forgiveness, saying things like, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. He publicly humiliated, in a sense, himself. Because what was of utmost importance to him was not what the people thought, but what God thought. And in that, he had a heart for God. In Psalm 139, oops, sorry, not ready there. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. It's about his relationship with God. David had a heart like God's. That meant when God moved to the right, David moved to the right. When God looked to the left, David looked to the left. When God said, I care about this, I'm concerned about that, David said, I'm concerned about this, I care about that. That's what it means to have a heart like God's. Yet David committed murder. David committed adultery. Yet, he had a heart like God. What does that mean for us? Personally, I have never committed murder or adultery, at least physically. Maybe I have mentally a few times. Which I have confessed, because that is sin too. But the point is, we can all have hearts like God if we understand what that requires. So I set out and I did this study on the life of David. And it was interesting because in studying his life, I found that there were seven, oops, where are we going here? Okay, thank you, Ron. There were seven things that were unique about David. And these are the seven things. He dealt thoroughly with sin. He never defended himself. He never owned anything. He cherished life. He never says anything that will hurt someone. He declares God's glory among all the nations and always worships giving God the glory. So this morning I was thinking I would speak on all seven of these things, but then Doug said I had 30 minutes. That ain't going to happen, is it? So I asked the Lord, what would you like me of these seven to talk about? And I naturally said, I shall want number six, because that's my life. That's my assignment. All the nations, right? That would be very easy for me to speak on. And he said, no. He said, number one, deal thoroughly with sin. That's what he wants us to hear this morning. So that's where we're going. 
What does it mean when we're told to walk in the light? If we are the body, the building of Christ, what it means, it means literally blowing the roof off the building so the light can come in. It means knocking down the walls so the life, light can come in. It means as a person being transparent, humble, broken before both God and others. David is humble, David is broken, and he is very, very sensitive to sin. If you look at the first four verses where it says, incline your ear and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant or slave who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, for to you I cry all the day. I lift up my soul and give ear to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you to answer me. It's not too difficult to see the humility here, is it? The brokenness. David's heart was such. And in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, he goes on to say, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Through the Psalms, David writes about what's on his conscience, what's going on in his heart, how he is striving to have a pure heart and a pure conscience. I love the story in Psalms, I'm sorry, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 25, where Abner is a farmer who treats him terrible and uh, corrupts um, the people around him, yet David protects him. And then when David needs some help, he's not willing to help, so he decides to kill him. But what does his wife Abigail do? She runs out to meet David and say, look, my husband's an idiot. Don't worry about him. Here's some gifts. And how does David respond? This is amazing. In verse 32, he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Again, he doesn't blame anybody else, does he? He owns, he takes responsibility for his own errors, his own sins, his own wrong thinking. He never, ever passes the buck. Study his life. At least I can't find any time where he does that. And he takes his issues, whatever they may be, to God. David actively sought out reconciliation and all he could do to restore relationships. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to us, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that you have something against somebody, leave your gift at the altar and go first and be reconciled. That's how important it is to God that we have reconciliation with one another, that we are in love, God's love, with one another. 
Relationships with God, relationships with one another are the most important thing. There's a song I listen to on Caleb. You know, it's all about God's love and it's all about relationships with one another. You know that song? Spot on. That's exactly the priorities that God has for us. To love others as we love ourselves. But loving, letting go, forgiving, it's really easy to talk about, isn't it? Not so easy to do. And so I'm going to tell you a story, a personal story, of how God taught me what David experienced. And again, I'm sharing this simply as a way for you to experience this because I'm certain, as I've been praying for this service, that there are some people here who are in a relationship and you're struggling. You're angry. You may be bitter. You're hurt. That's not unusual. But the thing is, so many of us, as we talked about this morning about not having doubts, or we heard John talk about having rest in God, laying our burdens on him, and we try, and we try, but there's no rest. There's no reconciliation. And so I'm going to share with you what I've experienced that really did bring reconciliation and rest. My friend's name is Dave. This is a true story. I'm using real names. I first met Dave when he came overseas to go through a summer training program that we were operating. And Dave and I hit it off. We like the same things. He's into sports and exercise, and I am too. And so we did things together. We had a lot of fun. It was a great summer. And so he decided he wanted to come back long term and work with us in our work amongst Muslims. And so he went home. He got married. He finished university, raised financial support. And about three years later, he came out and joined us. And I was excited to have a like-minded guy working with us. And we worked together for about a year and a half, and things were going really well. My wife and I went down to Jakarta in Indonesia for a vacation. And while we were there, we went to this big clothing bazaar, and I bought some clothes. Or actually, I should say my wife bought some clothes. And, um, and that was great. Well, about two or three months later, Dave and his wife decided to take a vacation, and they were going to go down to Jakarta as well. So I asked him, would you give me some more of these shirts that I had liked that were there. They're batik shirts, which are very common in our part of the world. And so he went down, and he came back, and he had two shirts for me, and he gave me those shirts. Well, about that time, things started to sour in Dave's and my relationship. Little things that he did that never bothered me before bothered me. Things that he said that weren't that bad, but weren't that helpful, became big things to me. And soon a disenchantment arose in me and in him, and we weren't communicating, we weren't uh, being nice to each other. It was not a good relationship, and that went on for maybe five months, and Dave and his wife decided to quit the team and go home. And I was so happy. 
But I was also very angry. Every single night, and I'm not exaggerating, I mean every night, I would have bad thoughts about Dave. I was angry. I was bitter. I was mad. And every night, I would ask Jesus to forgive me. Every night, I'd ask Jesus, please help me to forget. I'd ask Jesus to set it aside. I'd pray for his blood to wash. I would do whatever I could think of every night. It was the same. One month, two months, three months, four months, the same. Have you had a relationship like that? Have you had a problem like that? And after about five months, I finally decided to go to uh, my mentor and I said, hey, I've got this problem. And he said, well, you need to write Dave and ask him to forgive you. And I'm like, he did it all wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. He said, you need to write Dave and ask him to forgive you. So I wrote a letter and I sent it to my mentor first to see is this appropriate. And he said, no. <laughs> so I wrote a second letter and sent it to my mentor and he said, this is worse than the first. <laughs> Why? Because it was all about his problem, not my problem. So I rewrote it more about my problem than his problem. And I sent it to my mentor and he said, well, this is okay, so yeah, go ahead and send it. So I went ahead and sent it and then Dave responded. This was the days before email, so it took a few weeks. And Dave responded and said, thank you, that's very nice. Nothing that special, very vanilla. And every night I still had the same problem. The anger, the bitterness was still there. And as I was reading the scriptures, actually praying through Psalms, it came to me that I needed to meet with David and ask him to forgive me face to face. And I needed to do what King David did. I hadn't thought of it till right now, but they both had the same name. And own it, not blame. And so... I wrote to David and said, hey, I'm going to be back in the United States in two months. I'd really like to get together with you. Can I come and see you? And he wrote back and said, sure. So we agreed to meet in a McDonald's. And so we met in that McDonald's, and I sat down with David, and I said, David, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. I think I had six things. I said, I did this wrong. I sinned against you. Would you forgive me? And he said, yes. I have not had a bad thought about Dave since. Not one. No anger, no bitterness, nothing. Gone. Jesus says if we confess our sins to one another, what happens? They're healed. They're washed away. They're gone. And what I've learned is, you know, when we apply scripture in life, what happens? It works. It works. I love to tell this story. Just last year, October, actually, we were short as an organization about $28,000 to meet payroll. Now, none of you have ever gotten a letter from me asking for money because I don't do that. 
Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So I never ask people for money. Never. In all my years, never have. Karen Can's right here, missions committee, she'll vouch for that. Never. Only ask him. And so I said to the board, we need to ask God. And they're like, no, we need to send out a support raising letter. I said, we don't do that. You need to fast and pray with me for the money. Guess what happened? $31,000 came in that month. You know, scripture is truth. This is not make-believe. If we learn to walk in forgiveness, if we learn, like David, to own our sin, it gets washed away. Max Licato and Roy Lesson, I, I don't know who to attribute this little saying to because I find it's attributed to both on the internet. So I'll attribute it to both of them. But they said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have given us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasures, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. Because we're all sinners. Anybody else here a sinner? Raise your hand. Yeah. It's not a woo, though, because we are sinners. That's a whoa. But we all are. And so being transparent. And when we walk into church, if you're having a bad day and the greeter says, how's your day? It's okay to say, I'm having a bad day. And if you're having a good day, it's okay to say you're having a good day. We need to be honest about who we are and what we do and how we live. But a second thing you need to know about that shirt, and that is this. I went to a conference at the church that we were uh, working with at that time in Singapore. So all the leaders of the church knew me. It's a huge church, 4,000 members. And at that training conference, one of the leaders named Joe, who I very respect, a very godly man, came up to me and he said to me, Rob, who buys your clothes? And I said, my wife. And he said, so how's your marriage? And I said, fine. He said, no, you can be honest with me. How's your marriage? I said, fine. And he said, come on, you, you can be honest with me. Tell me, how's your marriage? I said, Joe, it's fine. Why? He said, Rob, there's a curse on that shirt, and I can see it. Whoever gave you that shirt, you should be at war with. I didn't remember who gave me that shirt. Typical man, right? So I went home and I said to May what I just heard from Joe, and she said, you know, Dave gave you that shirt. <laughs> well, we immediately destroyed both shirts. But the thing that I want to point out here is, you see, sometimes in these relationships, there's something else going on that we're not aware of. Because so often we look at the world in two dimensions, between God and us and one another. That's good, but there's a third dimension we forget about. And that's Satan and what he's doing. 
And even though we are under the power of the Holy Spirit, Satan still is ruler of this world. We all know we're going to win in the end, but the end hasn't come yet. We're still in the battle, and if we're a chessboard, we're just the pawns. And we're getting manipulated. And we need to be aware of that. Rob Reimery, remember his message a few months ago? I mean, that was a powerful message, how there's these three dimensions. And we have to be aware how this third dimension is affecting the things that we're doing. So if you're struggling to forgive someone, or if you're struggling to forgive yourself, Jesus died for our hurts, for our anger, for our bitterness. And he rose again to demonstrate that he has power to heal those, cleanse those, overcome any of the traps that the evil one might want to lay on us. And if that's something that you're dealing with, I want you in our time of prayer in a minute to come forward and to get prayer over these things and to understand the healing that God offers. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus, it says, he came to save his people from their sins. That's the wonderfulness of what he offers us. Jesus, we do thank you. We do bless you that we have freedom. We have rest. We don't have to have doubts. We don't have to have fears. But we do have to have you. And we do have to obey the things that you tell us to do. And so we pray as a body for one another that you would give us the discipline to never succumb to sin, to doubt, but to always obey your word in applying it in our relationships with one another to move forward. And I do pray that you would give us as individuals the transparency, the humility to walk in brokenness and in weakness, knowing that you don't need our strengths. You've got all the strength in the world. What you need is our weaknesses because you don't have any weakness. So come and fill us anew that you would be glorified in and through us, Jesus. Amen. In addition, if you've got people that you're in relationship difficulties with, struggling with, anger with. In addition to coming forward, if you need prayer for that, there was a couple of things that those praying for the service had for us, and that is if you're in fear or confusion, to come forward. If you feel like you're spiritually wandering or wandering around and need direction, come forward. If you feel rudderless and need direction, very similar to the first one, isn't it? 
that you come forward for prayer. Or if you're feeling alone and you need relationship with others, come forward for prayer. If any of these things are on your heart, in your life, come forward because the prayer of the elders, as it says in James 5.16, again, will wash away those sins. Thank you for this time, Jesus. We bless you in your name. Amen. And thank you, church, for your love and support and prayers. Not another minute, love. 